Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that's shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps fundraisers perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, personal relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong partners. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insight into their hearts, minds, and connections of their prospects. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? Our team at Responsive is looking forward to getting back on the road in 2022. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's four sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All you need to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 to 40 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There's no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, reach out to me today. Before I introduce today's guest, let me say that we're having important conversations here on the Fundraising Talent Podcast with individuals whose voices matter in the fundraising space and the nonprofit sector in general. Sometimes our opinions clash and sometimes they align. What's important is that we're having the conversation. If you have an opinion, whether I agree with you or not, let's hear it, let's elevate it, and let's wrestle with it. I want you to influence my thinking on these things. And more importantly, I want your ideas and opinions to influence the thousands of listeners who are downloading our podcast every month. If you want to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, reach out and let's make sure you're included in an upcoming lineup. Hi, Gerlaine. I am delighted that you're on the Fundraising Talent Podcast with me this morning. We have been friends for quite some time, and um, I forgive me, as I was saying before we hit the record button, uh, forgive me that I have not been able to have you on the podcast, but I'm delighted that you're here today. You're not only um, our guest today, but you're also one of our contributing authors to our most recent edition of Carefully and Critically. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we do that, how about we just ask that you introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you. Really an honor and privilege to be here with you today. Um, In terms of who I am, I always like to start with um, 
uh, where my mother always says that I, I am an idealist from the time I came out of the womb. <laughs> and that has manifested in my life as um, a career that started out as a teacher in the classroom. And then for the last 20 years, the privilege of uh, building relationships and um and through that, funds for some amazing nonprofits doing some extraordinary work in the world. That's briefly who Gerlaine is. Yeah, Gerlaine. So I have really um, I've enjoyed reading the uh, the recent article that you wrote, and uh, that's what we're going to sort of unpack for our listeners today. Uh, we're also going to encourage them if they're interested, they can go to the link in the in the show notes and um, and download a free copy of Carefully and Critically. The name of your article, Gerlaine, is. Um, how to infuse more love into fundraising. And um, I, I got to tell you, when I read that title, I was like, okay, where is this going to go? And uh, and then when I found this statement right in the middle of it, I knew exactly where I, this was exactly sort of where you were going. You were posing this question. What can we do differently in fundraising to bring back the love, the trust and the idealism of the next generation? What do you, what, what's the question you're asking there? Unpack that for us. Well, I, I spend a lot of time talking to younger folks. I love being around their energy. I'm, I'm 52, so when I say younger, between 25 and 51. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, And be, when people learn that my life has in the nonprofit sector, of course, conversation comes up, and, and I'm constantly saddened and amazed when I hear particularly those under 35 somewhat roll their eyes at the notion of the nonprofit sector. There really is this, this sense that um, the sector is a bit of a relic and a cynicism that, that breaks my heart, especially at such a young age. And I had to do some soul searching on my own to really understand where they're coming from, because there's always been that, that, ugh, that kind of pain in my chest that some of the, the, um, the beliefs that we have, actions we take in the nonprofit sector that contributes to this sense of disillusionment, if you will, with our sector. And especially having been in, in the midst of pandemic going on two years and maybe counting and having a time time to really reflect and reading articles well before the pandemic of, of, of fundraisers leaving the sector, a lot of questions begin to bubble up. What is wrong here? This, in its purest form, is what we as humans are here to do, which is to take care of each other. Why is there that resistance? Why is there almost this this um, this disgust with the nonprofit sector? So this is this is me doing my own inner work as well as paying attention to what's going on out there with the next generation. We are aging in the nonprofit sector. Um, we need new important, and it's important to answer their questions and meet their needs for explanation. You start there very early in the article. You said, sadly, more and more, I find myself asking, where is the love in fundraising? It is felt as if the love of humanity has morphed slowly and surely to the love of money. You know, you and I both understand our faith backgrounds, our faith traditions. And, um, you know, uh, and that's where I, you know, I worked, I raised money for faith-based organizations as you have for the, you know, majority of my career. And it was always that wrestling match between raising money and having this love of money. Um, and we talk about that a lot in faith traditions. We talk about how, you know, there's a difference between needing and utilizing money as a tool uh, 
versus having this love of it. But what you're posing there is that we on the other side, we on the receiving side have also made it, you know, usually that, you know, usually when that critique of love of money comes up, it's about the person who has the money, not the person who's receiving it. But what you're drawing our attention to is the idea that we on the receiving side or the intermediary side, you know, for the sake of those who are going to be receiving, um, have made it all about us too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's painful, right? It's really painful to say because this is such a noble profession, but so much of what we do, what I found, what I perceived comes down to numbers. And I, and what I'm asking myself over and over again, and what I, I, I hope to convey in this article is what, what are the souls and the hearts behind the money? And money is a byproduct. It doesn't lead. And I think that when we look at the nonprofit sector, what do you often see in those headlines for a campaign, $2 billion campaign? We lead by the numbers. Rarely do we see the stories. You have to almost dig deep to see yeah. the humanity behind the number. And that can be very painful. I remember working for um, an organization that was um, that addressed um, this, this was social and yeah. reading of a, of a museum that received a gift of thirty million. And I thought, I, I love museums. Don't get me wrong, I do. I'm, I'm yeah. an art fanatic. But here we were feeding the hungry, and yet people were giving twenty million dollars to an art institution. And the disconnect and the focus was just on the art institution. There was a, a conversation on what the art does to the soul and why it's important. It was the focus was on the money. And of course, in my end as a fundraiser, I'm thinking, ah, I, I of course focused on the money and forgot about the humanity. What would happen if we put the humanity before the numbers? What would happen if, if we were reminded that the numbers serve humanity? That's what is, comes first. Is some of that emphasis I t- I tend to think in my in my studying recently, as I was sharing with you earlier about the writing project I'm working on. Um, I tend to think that some of these larger institutions, like uh, in Stanford, for example, is the most they raise more money than anybody on the planet. I think I recently read or something. I think that's been known for quite some time. But what they do is they create a kinship, they create a community, and they and and and, and they like a, a museum that you were talking about. Um, oftentimes create these sort of these inside sort of kinship sort of groups where gifts are exchanged in these extraordinary ways. And I almost wonder if some, is some of that, is some of that looking at that gift, is the envy, is that envy of us outsiders looking at that gift and, and do some of these organizations that are sort of some, you know, some of these human service organizations like you were referring to, that, that, that are feeding people and caring for people in, 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 in the most desperate and sort of needy sort of places in our world, do we need to learn how to sort of bring those people into kinship as well? Those people who have all this extraordinary, that, that, that extraordinary, that, that extraordinary museum, whichever one we're referring to also knows how to be in really deep community with the individual writing that check. I don't know if some of these organizations know how to be in community with people who live on such, you know, divergent sort of economic planes. But I think, isn't that part of the challenge and the opportunity? Isn't that where the love ultimately comes from? You almost have to love your donor as much as you love the uh, person that you're serving. 
Completely. I mean, I, 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 you hit it on the point that that we 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 fund we raise funds to serve people. Yeah. No matter what nonprofit, university, hospital, social service, it comes down to people. And I think you hit on a on an extraordinary point in terms of the Stanfords of the world and the operas and. and yeah. You go there, a church, if you will, and there's an experience. Yeah. You you you're you're transformed of art. You're transformed by being in a place of worship. If you're in a hospital, on some level, you are someone by that experience. If you're if you've if you've not known or you haven't known hunger for a very long time, it's a different type of, of an experience. But I, I you know I but I don't think it's one that we can't we can't take donor on a journey to. There's always a, yes, a beginning right. story, and and I think that's that's one of the things that that unless you're an insider in in, in, the, in working at a university or a hospital, you don't get to to really understand the journey that 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 took place before that seven eight nine figure. Even there was a relationship that was built. There was a story inside of that donor relationship ticked, uh, just kind of activated something that that resulted in that generosity there was a, oh i remember what that was like i can feel it in my bones i can i can feel it when i was when i was i remember working in an organization and speaking with a donor who started and founded a a highly successful tech company he came from a farm he came from a farm this was a man who was in his 60s and just having conversations with him getting to know him he access the memories of what it was like to not have enough food to eat, even though for most of his life, he's been a millionaire and now a billionaire. Inside each of us that where we, we share a common humanity. And I've always felt that my privilege in talking to donors was to learn who are you? Who are you to your core? Who are you to your core? Because you're having this conversation with that you want to do in the world. There's something that you yeah. want to contribute to the world. Right. Otherwise, right. you would never have said yes. Come over and sit with me for an hour or so. So you're right. It's 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 that it's that journey of what give. What is behind that gift? Because it's more than money, Jason. It is more it than is. money. And going back to having the money play the backstory. Not so much the hero. The story is the hero. The experience is the hero. The human is the is the hero. Both the people who are quote unquote recipient client and those who are um, those who resource uh, the work that the nonprofit does. I was reading last night. I'm reflecting on your your use of the word journey. So I was um, I was reading a book last night about. Design, design is a mode of inquiry, and design is a you know is a yeah, is a mode of inquiry about the sort of the way we approach the world, rather than an art or a science. A lot of us sort of think that all the world is sort of divided in arts and sciences. And this particular book is making the case for design, and 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 the whole book sort of enlivens the idea for me when I when when we approach fundraising that we're designing experiences, and to use your word, journey, because I think the author did too. We're designing journeys, mm-hmm. and part of what this author talks about is he talks about, I don't even say he or she, but the author talks about uh, the idea that um, part of what design is in sort of creating these journeys is sort of intuiting sort of where this 
journey can sort of go in its most meaningful way. And oftentimes we come to the table and, and he's not talking, this author is not talking about fundraising. This author is not talking about, and he has no concern for fundraising, perhaps the nonprofit sector at all. But the author is basically talking about how we sort of come with these prescribed sort of like the like the the proposals already written, right? <laughs> and I think you I think you get because you and I've had enough meaningful conversations about this. The most meaningful fundraising I've ever done is when you go to meet with a donor, for example, and you have not written the proposal and you're not ready to write the proposal and the proposal is going to come later yes. and it's going to emerge from that interaction. But I think so much of what we do today and where we lose the love and where we lose the opportunity to go on a journey with our donors is we come in there with this you know, with this straight linear path, like all I'm trying to get to. I mean, isn't that what we're missing? 100%. I, <laughs> I, I, you know, in the, in the, in the world of uh, stewardship, right? Donor stewardship, we're, we're always told you have to surprise and delight the donor. And I think to myself, I, I go into meetings with the expectation that the donor is going to surprise or the person I'm speaking to dehumanizing to a certain set the person who's sitting across me will delight and 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 surprise me and they always do, they do. but that <laughs> but you have to create the container for that you have to create the container for just just speak to me about who you are let's just have a conversation human to human so i can better you and brit and really create a, an authentic bridge between what you aspire to do and what this organization I serve does, that it's meaningful on both ends. So absolutely. Maybe, yeah. oh, you've got me thinking, oh, oh, maybe we have an overly simplified, overly reductionist sort of understanding of even our own, even who are, what our own organizations are, because we think we can go in. I mean, how many of us have gone on these meetings? <laughs> How many of us go on these meetings and think all we can do is pitch them this particular, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this particular, this particular proposal, when in fact there's just this myriad of complexity and people and humanity and change and everything that fundraising, you know, sort of represents. And then you bring to that the complexity of the whatever's happening on the donor side. It's usually not one person. It's usually mm-hmm. perhaps a couple or, you know, mm-hmm. a family or something. Yeah. You don't know what's going to emerge from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but Absolutely. this going back to this author and kind of hinging on your word, the surprise, going back to design, when we're designing these journeys and perhaps we're designing these journeys for ourselves to sort of mutually go with our donors on these journeys, surprise is an, uh, this author is saying that surprise in it is an inerrant part of what a designer does. They sort of know that they're delivering on what the client expects them to deliver on, but they also have inside their sort of, it's in them. It, they want to, they want to sort of, they want to add this little element of surprise where the client, when they receive whatever it is you're designing for them, they go, wow, that's amazing. I didn't yeah. expect that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to see, a donor surprised and delighted in front of you. And then you are also surprised. It's it's a magical, mystical experience that I crave every time I go on a meeting. Okay. So right here in the, uh, you mentioned, I want, I want to unpack why you, why you put the, because you use the word liberation. I I really appreciated finding that in the article as well. You quote um, her name's um, 
I believe it's Lila or Lilla, Lilla mm-hmm. Watson. Um, if you have come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because, because your liberation is bound up with mine, let us work together. What is that liberation that we just talked about? You just got me all stirred up. <laughs> I got myself stirred up. What is that liberation that we're talking about that's perhaps bound up together when we're sitting there with a donor? Is that is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean that 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 is such a delicious, wonderful word, and it's so nuanced. For me, for me, the liberation is the liberation from the mindset that we are separate. That liberation from the mindset really is a, a helper and a, and a receiver. That liberation from the mindset that you're and you're over there. That liberation from the mindset that I can prosper and you don't prosper and that I'm, I'm still prosperous. Because if, 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 the, if the pandemic hasn't shown us anything, I hope it has shown us that it is indeed a small world after all, right? That what, that, um, is it's eventually going to come to the United States, right? right. So yep. yes. liberation from that that from that thinking that there's we are we are bound together. We are on this earth together. <laughs> I used to, you know in my past life I was a, I was a science teacher, a biology teacher, and every single lesson, Jason, my my uh, my. My intention was to remind my students always that we are part of a circle of life. We are connected to every single on this earth. So when I when I when I see the word liberation, where it hits me is that science part of Gurlain that we are in this together. And philosophers have been saying this, and our most great minds have been saying it. And we forget it. We forget it in the day-to-day of humanity. All right. And you carry that to, you carry this notion of liberation to this. And and I could sit here with you. We could probably just, you write, if we could face our privilege, acknowledge it and name it, perhaps we could then use it to cultivate the humility that is needed to return the love to fundraising. Humility allows for the discernment that to serve that to serve and to help are distinct concepts, not all the same. The notion of help perpetuates inequity and power, taking a top-down and savior, savior complex approach. To help is to create to help is to create separation and hierarchy. To truly serve demands partnership, proximity, proximity, Collaboration, humility, curiosity, mutual respect. You're just describing a place where the love of fundraising sort of happens there. I mean, that's where, and then you end us there in that same paragraph, your liberation is bound up with me. Unpack that some more. Oof. Yeah. I mean, just for me, being constantly aware. See, words are very important to me. I, I love words and they're very impactful. They just are for, for the humans and to remember that at its core, philanthropy and fundraising is about that word, right? We use the word I serve, but I don't think we ever delve deeper into what it means to serve. Um, it means humility, which which is a big part of what I write about. To love comes from a place of humility. It comes from a place of meeting you where you are. Right. Yeah. And it takes us back to the question you ask about these experiences, right? Like yeah. with, in a, at a, 
in something. You're feeling yeah. it for yourself. And with service, it's it's come down to where I am and kind of feel what it's like to live in my shoes. Because really, how can you serve me if you don't even know me? If you don't know me, how can you serve me? Yeah. You have to sit yeah. with me and see how I live my life because what served you in your particular context, in your particular culture, may not be of service to me in my context, in my culture. Context is everything. Yeah. And that's a, <laughs> of service, right? Is that I want to understand your context. I want to understand from which you come from so that we can have a conversation that my, my inclination to be of service comes from understanding who you are. So it's a little bit of that unpacking that 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 true philanthropy doesn't happen with with me stand, sitting up here and you down here. We have to come down to the ground. That's what humility means. Humility means to the earth, to be down to earth, to be salt of the earth. If we're going to reference a little bit of spirituality there, but for, one of the things I, I love to do when working with donors is to come come volunteer with me. And let's go and and um, distribute food. Come cook with me. Come really get your hands dirty if you go yeah. down into the trenches and just live as most of humanity lives. That yeah. changes you. And ultimately, this journey, going back to journey, this journey of philanthropy changes you. Maybe that's what we're we're, we're craving for, but we don't know. We don't we don't name it. We don't know how to name it. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed on some level. That's why we engage. Yeah, and, and you're just getting me so excited about <clears throat> I'm still in writing mode, and I'm sitting here thinking, i got to write this down. <laughs> the, the gifts don't work if there's not a relationship, and that, that changing, that transformation. I mean, I, I think about some of the – going back to your comment about the $30 million gift – if we think that the trans, so you know how we, I see it everywhere and I hear it on the podcast all the time, you know, this notion of going from transactional to transformational. Well, it seems to me they want to, the, the, the way that we sometimes say that is that we just want the transformation to happen on the donor side. But we also have to design the the fundraising experience so that it can be transformational on, on our side. Mm -hmm. The only reason I think two individuals like you and I can sit here and having committed our, our most of our professional careers to this type of work is because we've been on that intermediary sort of receiving side of these gifts and felt the transformation ourselves. Mm -hmm. But doesn't that have to, damn it, doesn't that have to be designed into the job? You have to give margin to that. And I don't think our supervisors are doing it. We've got to design. If just closing gifts, you're not going to be transformed if all you're doing is closing gifts. It doesn't matter how big or small they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Agreed. As a, as a person who sits across the table from another, happens to have a great deal of financial resources. Yeah. And I think you can attest to this. And I think most fundraisers who allow themselves to be in that humble and uh, vulnerable spot of sitting sure. in front of another person, there is no way you can't be transformed. Right. Yeah. I, I'm transformed just doing my due diligence and learning about uh, uh, another human being and learning right. about their stories and thinking, Oh my God, from that to this, right. Oh right. my God. And how inspirational <laughs> that is to me. And I, yes. and I can honestly say, Jason, I've never 
ever, maybe just because it's the personality I am, I've never left a meeting with a with a with a with a with a, a, a donor partner and not been transformed and not had had them say a word or a phrase or just a look on their face that planted a seed inside of my soul that continues to grow to so it, so it's I guess to answer your question is ultimately your intentionality right yeah. why do you do this work and that's the question that we need to ask yes. over and over every year the January first I'm thinking why am I still in this. Yes. Why do I do this? And if it doesn't come from my heart, if it if it isn't like, oh my God, so much more to learn and there's so much more to do. There's so many stories to 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 hear, so many things to continue to share, then I don't do it. So the intentionality is key. And in terms of supervisors, I think that if the supervisor has not had the privilege of doing do then it, it can uh, be it can be yeah. a very tense experience yeah. but if you're working with someone who's been there and uh, i've unless they're cut off i can't imagine that there would not be that space to allow for the trans the fundraiser if you will and the donor partner i found it very poetic at the end of your article and for the sake of our listeners again you can if you're interested in downloading you can download the article um, and we'll put the uh, link in the show notes. And, um, uh, several of our authors contributed wonderful pieces that we're as we're discussing here today. But you wrap this up with this, and, and it occurred to me as I was reading this. I highlighted it and I put the word. You know how the expression uh, gets out there: people hate fundraising, for example. You know, the, the, and and you, you 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 it's the idea of it's not love or hate but it's indifference and i thought is indifference that place that we are at before we abandon this work or before we abandon a cause that we care about it's like indifference is sort of that that point of diminishing returns where the where the, where it hasn't collapsed where it hasn't fallen apart but it's at that point where there's no more value in this and it's just going to take one more sort of moment of disappointment that we're just going to abandon it. And I think that moment of indifference, which is where you wrap up here is indifference where so many of us find ourselves now the back into this pandemic, having watched what has sort of transpired in our world in a myriad of tragic and traumatic ways. And we're looking at our work and you're posing a question like you just did. If we feel that indifference that you're talking about, is that sort of that signal, that sort of indicator to, to, to really interrogate ourselves by answering that question you just asked? Is it that indifference? Absolutely. I, I, I truly believe that the world requires, dare I say, demands less indifference. Mm-hmm. It just, it just right. does. We, we, we can't, especially in fields where you're, well, I mean, what field are you not dealing with, with other human beings, but just look around us and see what indifference has led to. If you don't yeah. love what you're doing, if yeah. there isn't passion there, if you're not willing to take a stand and, and, um, and, 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 and focus your time, talent, and treasure on something that truly moves you. I don't even think that's a life. I, I don't think that <laughs> once you're indifferent, there's a, there's a, there's a numbness. There's, a, there's an unhappiness that begins to settle, right? And, yeah. and, and that, in terms of just, just being happy to a certain extent for me, 
a transformational step, feels like a, 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 a vehicle by which we make the world a better place just by the, the emanating the energy of happiness, for God's sake. So yeah. whatever it takes, come to that place inside of you where you feel joy, where you feel expansiveness, where you feel that you are truly using every ounce of talent you have inside of you out there into the world and contributing find something else find something yeah. else yeah yeah i think that the, the even the few conversations you and i've had i mean it, it just ends at such a spiritual place i mean this is spiritual work mm-hmm. like it or not that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about yes by whatever definition you want to yeah. you can't mm-hmm. look at this conversation you can't read this article and not realize that finding that passion finding that love in this work wrestling with how you sort of reconcile the so divergent sort of worlds on each side of these exchanges. Um, Yeah. Indifference isn't going to work. If somebody's listening to our conversation today, people always sort of uh, our guests oftentimes sort of follow up with me and they say they got so much feedback. I don't hear from people on the individual. So it's people in your seat too. So how would you like people to find you? Um, How can they reach out to you if they want to continue the conversation? Uh, please look me up on, on um, I love connecting with fellow idealists and, and, and people in the nonprofit <laughs> sector and people like you, Jason, who are making such a dent in the world. So please, let's connect. Let's continue this conversation. Let's infuse more love into this beautiful, truly wonderful sector that we're privileged to engage with and in. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation to kick off the new year. So I'm delighted that you're with me. Um, Wonderful. uh, Delighted that we're uh, able to have this conversation. Look forward to being back in New York very soon so we can share a cup of coffee. Absolutely. Can't look, look forward to that. Thank you so much for all you do, Jason. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.